I think it's my responsibility to challenge the executive management team here, provide them some level of communication about what is available and have them challenged to think where, where might a place for that technology be to plug in to our industry. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. Throughout the past few episodes, we've been exploring two primary threads. We've talked a lot about trends and predictions for 2022 and beyond. We've also been exploring with some of the CIOs that we first visited with a couple of years ago, catching up with them and seeing where they are now. This episode kind of blends those two things. While our guest has not been on the show before, we are going to talk about some of the trends that he's seen, some of his approach to the role of CIO, and just explore his journey a bit. I think this promises to be, no, I'm going to change that. This will be a great discussion that I think you will enjoy. Today's guest is Ken Bryan. Ken is known to everybody as Buck. And if you ever had the chance to meet Buck, that name is perfect for him. He brings an energy, he brings a joy and a zest for what he does and for people, and he brings that wherever he is. Ken is the CIO of The Health Plan, a health insurance company based out of West Virginia that services that area of the country. So Buck, I'd love to welcome you to Status Go. Well, Jeff, thank you for that introduction. It's, it's an honor to be with you today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation, Buck. Every time you and I get together, we can wax poetically about the role of the CIO. So I think this is going to be a great discussion. I'm looking forward to it too, Jeff. <laughs> why, don't, why don't we start with your background? Tell us a little bit about your journey, your career journey, and what led you ultimately to where you are now at the health plan. Sure. I uh, started my career in software development. I was, I was a programmer. Back in the uh, RPG days, when that was a viable product, <laughs> IBM had a product called Mapix, and I started as a consultant. I actually started as a manager. My very first role was a manager of a, of a small shop running an AS4, or, uh, excuse me, a System 36, gradually worked up to the AS400. But I was quickly picked up by a consulting group to be a consultative programmer, and as that required interaction with the business. And I really enjoyed gathering requirements and then and then doing um, code verification and testing with the clients. I really seemed to, to feel comfortable with that interaction and, and talking with the business owners and talking about their needs and listening to them as it related to my, my requirements for, for programming. And so I was kind of that you know shirt sleeve consultant slash developer. I had a, a role with the Alcoa uh, the Aluminum Company of America, also known mm -hmm. as Alcoa. So that role uh, was with a consulting firm. They ended up hiring me uh, into their organization. And so I had a good bit of, I got a good bit of manufacturing experience there. As a consultant, many of the, our clients were manufacturers as well. 
The next role led me into pharmaceuticals. I worked with a company in Cincinnati that, uh, that they had the Adderall product. And so I served there as the North American CIO. I uh, was there, you know, five or six years, really enjoyed that. It, w- it was global in size. They were based out of uh, Basingstoke, England. It's had some exposure to the British culture and, and the British way of doing business. And my next journey came with uh, the opportunity to go with a transportation company, also a UK-based organization. But I got into transportation and served as North American CIO in that organization. And really, it was my prior experience with, with the Brits at the pharmaceutical company that kind of put me on the, on the inside track for the transportation company. I then had a detour into a small tech startup, a web-based content management-based company. Again, that was more consultative in nature, even though I was an owner of the business. Um, a lot of consulting was, was involved in that. And from there, a colleague of mine ended up at the health plan and she reached out to me and said, uh, I think we might have a CIO job opening up here in wonderful Wheeling, West Virginia. I had a 20 minute conversation with the president and the chairman of the board. And they said, can you come out next week and meet? And four hour meeting ended up stretching out to a five hour meeting and, um, uh, in a couple of weeks from then, I, I took on the role and they knew I didn't have kind of to follow your theme. They knew I did not have insurance or uh, medical payer experience. Mm-hmm. But what really what they were more interested in that I did have was that leadership experience, the experience I had in the previous CIO, even the business role, that startup role, knowing people, uh, understanding technicians, managing that tech spot, having been a developer myself. And they shared some of the challenges that they had here. And, you know, I think the real interest was that part of the conversation you want to go to about how, how, how are things running in the industry today and, and, and the skills that I brought to the table as it represented that. They really didn't care at all that I had specific insurance experience. Yeah. I think that your background is, is fascinating in a, in a number of ways. You talk a lot about your time as a consultant or a consultative approach. And that seems to be a recurring theme with a lot of the CIOs we talk to, that somewhere in their background, they were a consultant. And we're going to have to explore that at some point, because I think those skills are so valuable for a CIO today to have that consultative approach to go in and ask good questions and learn. As you took on the role there at the health plan, talk to me about the the challenges you faced and how this consultative approach that you're so uh, so good at, how did that serve you as you landed in uh, Wheeling, West Virginia? That's a good question. And I think it's, it is fundamental to, to me being selected for the role. For a couple of reasons. One, the primary challenge that they had here is 15 years of tech debt. We were running, are currently running, and in the, in the uh, process of modernizing our systems, but we're running an HP 3000 with COBOL as the base code. Now, we also have a SQL you know, side of, of the systems, but mm-hmm. that tech debt and, and all the baggage associated with that, part of which comes um, with the fact that, you know, there's staff members that have been 
in the organization for 35 years. Mm-hmm. But the challenge was come in and change everything, but don't change everybody. They did not want me to come in and clean house and hire mm-hmm. everybody new. They wanted me to retain that uh, institutional knowledge, which I recognized right away was critical to us mm-hmm. bridging from the old system to the new system. So that was kind of the second challenge. One was was replacing this this a heavily tech-laden system with the balance of maintaining the staff, largely of whom which created this old system. It was their baby. So the last thing I could do is come in and say, hey, your baby's ugly um, yeah. and, and, and keep them. So, you know, I had to balance that. At the same time, the other, the other balancing act was many of the, the EMT members you know, they have their needs and their visions of what they want to accomplish. And this old system wasn't meeting that, those right, needs. Right. So I had to use those consultative skills to listen to what they were looking for, are looking for, and make sure I put a plan together to meet those needs. So th- those skills came in there yeah. as well. Well, if you ever need any help on the COBOL side, you know that's where I started, right? You, you started RPG. I started COBOL. Uh, so uh, that's always been my fallback plan. If uh, if this podcast thing doesn't work out, uh, I'm going to start coding COBOL again. So keep me in mind. Keep me in mind. All right. I'll be sure to do that. <laughs> um, one of the things that we talked about in preparation for our conversation today, Buck, and I think it's a conversation you and I have had many times before is this whole concept of verticalization of IT. Now, you you mentioned that the health plan wasn't as concerned about your background in uh, insurance or on the healthcare side, but what are your thoughts on this trend towards uh, hyper-verticalization where I think it's going to be harder for CIOs and, and a lot of IT staff to jump industries, to move between industries, because things are getting so complex. Are you seeing that once you're inside there in the health plan? Is that something that you're that you're seeing? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you where I see that demonstrating itself loud and clear is, um, is the skill sets. So what's required to run a payer is heavy with electronic data interchange, EDI, and uh-huh. all of our claims, you know, the, the vast majority of our claims, I think, I think it's 87% come in electronically. But within all those transactions, you know, we probably, on a top level, we probably have 12 to 15 different transaction sets that we have to process claims and enrollment and accruals, RX claims and so forth. And they all have a little different flavor and variety. And so when we look into the market to find developers to be able to support those things. We look at products like Edifex and there's others. And to find those kind of skills in the market is extremely difficult to get those yeah. kind of narrow uh, areas. So yeah, I think I, I think jumping from shop to shop, industry to industry, I think it is becoming more and more specialized. Mm-hmm. Now, where I don't think that comes into place is at the upper level of the organization where you're managing people, you're managing projects, you're managing issues and and strategizing or designing solutions. But I think the the deeper into the organization you go from a technical perspective, uh, be it COBOL or RPG, either one, is is yeah. where <laughs> is where the challenge is. It's finding those C sharp people and um, you know, 
BB6 and those skills, even as it relates to uh, on the engineering side of the house, the networking and so forth. I've had calls recently with Gartner with regard to Citrix support and finding, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. a very narrow niche of Citrix support and, and engineers with that. And what do we do? And, you know, to some extent, we're having to leverage the um, internship programs with the local colleges mm-hmm. because most of the staff that we've hired in the year that I've been here, and this was part of my interview process, was are you going to be able to build a remote team to support the organization? Well, in some cases, that's fine. And we got people in multiple time zones and they're providing that remote development support. But when it comes to the, you know, the engineering and the network piece, there's a real value in having those people local, you know, in the building and being able to touch the equipment because we're not fully cloud. We do have some cloud solutions. And honestly, when we go to the modernization solution, when we go to the next CAPS or COT solutions, it'll probably be a cloud-based solution, but there's real benefit in having uh, hands-on engineers. So we're looking to bring those in from the local colleges and universities and kind of grow our own, you know, take, yeah. send them to specific training that we need and and develop their skills while they're here with us, running the risk of they get a little experience or a year or so experience and they could bolt. But that's the that's yeah. the risk we run. Well, and that brings up another topic that I know we've talked about is this great resignation mm-hmm. um, and what we're seeing there. Has that impacted you at the health plan, uh, the broader community of Wheeling? Talk to us about that. Yes, we're seeing it across the organization as I talk to HR and so forth. And we, you know, no no better demonstration of how that's impacting us is we'll bring in a, a new round of employees to the tune of, you know, 15 to 20 at a, at a time. You know, on a Monday morning, my team has got to badge and equipped, set up up to 20, 20 plus, 20, 22 people in a cycle of startups. And uh, having talked to the head of HR, she's just been run ragged with job searches and working with recruiters and posting jobs and so forth. So fortunately, my IT department hasn't been hit too hard with it, um, but <laughs> still waiting to exhale on that. We don't want to jinx it. Right. And you mentioned remote work. Is that helping by using skill that may not be there in Wheeling or Southern Ohio, um, does that help by hiring the remote workers? I wouldn't be where I'm at today with my timeline and projected project delivery without the remote work. Yeah, Find, yeah. Finding those people, facilitating it, getting it set up, the Citrix set up and the, the security and so forth um, all set up. Where the challenge for that comes to me, and you know me, Jeff, I mean, I'm pretty social. For an IT guy, I'm pretty social, and I love the team-building really? aspect. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I like to, over the holidays, get everybody together and, and rub elbows and, and, you know, get spouses or significant others, partners together, and get to know each other at that level. I've, yeah. My success with that has been to me kind of uh, unexpected to be able to you know you, you work with a group of people for 40 50 hours a week and then you you invite them over to your house for a cookout and time together they bring their spouses and they still want to get together with with each other yeah yeah and i've never asked anybody to you know you don't have to be friends outside of work 
And there are people that don't get along with each other, but they still come out and, and get together and, you know, break bread and, and have some drinks and, and enjoy it. And it really honestly, genuinely brings the team together. Now, when I have people in five or six states, that's uh-huh. impossible to do. And I miss yeah. I, the, with all the flexibility that the remote work brings. And it's great. You know, there, there are some costs associated with that. Yeah, you, you do kind of lose that that ability unless you uh, do it periodically and bring people in uh, mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. for that. Maybe maybe uh, as this uh, COVID thing dies down, we'll be able to, to travel more and bring bring folks together. I know? certainly hope so. And I look forward to that opportunity. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about your, call it your philosophy, call it your approach, but your vision of the role of the CIO and the things that you found are required for a CIO and the things that you bring to the table uh, specifically that have enabled you to be successful in the CIO role. All right. There's a couple of things that come to mind. You know, I, I think a, a large part of, of my success has, has been able to understand the technology and coming up through the development world and understanding the bent and mindset of, of those kind of people, what what motivates them, you know, being able to understand where they really are. Because if you, you ask any programmer how much longer they're going to need to finish it, they'll always say, I'll have that done today. Typically, you know, <laughs> it's, it's typically a very short time. But when you dr- uh-huh. ask the right questions and drill down, you quickly understand it's closer to a week out from being done than, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, many of them see things very optimistically, which is which is not a bad thing. But you know, I'm looking for reality. So being able to understand that mindset and, and manage that and, and coach through that has come into play, and being able to understand and keep up with the technology, which is very difficult to do. But I think on the other side of that coin, when you, apart from the staff managing up or or dealing with the C-suite, president, CEO, board members, I think. A large part of my success has been able to communicate with them at a, at a with business language and not trying to impress them with all the acronyms and all the technology speak and trying to make my position feel important. I've always tried to, as I've had to explain, there's always problems, right? You know, we're always yeah. fighting a fire somewhere and oftentimes have bad news to share with, with the executives about what's happened, why the system was down or why something's not done. And I feel like the more transparent, the, the simpler the language you use, like, and like I say, you don't want to talk, speak down to them. And I'm not even suggesting right. that, but I'm saying speak to them at the business level and their interpretation. Some have, uh, have more comfort with some of this tech talk, if you will, and, mm-hmm. and you can get away with throwing some acronyms at them that they'll understand. But for the most part, I put those all aside. I, I, I checked that tech attitude at, at their door and go in and talk to them, you know, person to person and in very plain English and, and common sense. It, it kind of reminds me as John Madden came uh, uh-huh. been in the news of, of late and, and with his passing and some of the stories that I've seen, I, I watched the all Madden story and I, I'm not saying I'm anything like John Madden. I'm not trying to compare myself <laughs> to him at all. Please don't take that away. But I think one of the things I related to him was as he tried to share 
the game and tried to educate people about the game and how it's played and different, you know, the linemen, it always, you know, it always end up talking, it always comes down to the linemen and so forth. And as he would use common language and common sound, you know, the boom, bang and, and uh-huh. so forth, I, I feel like to some extent, I've shadowed some of that language as I meet with the board members. And I've had a number of, of meetings with board members since I've been here in Wheeling. And just speaking plain English to them and putting putting our technical challenges and, and so forth in everyday language so they don't have to try to translate what I'm trying to then that's I felt like yeah. as I heard what John and you know the impact John Madden had on everybody, I feel like some of that, you know, I can relate to. Yeah, yeah. And no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say you're a, a you're a John Madden buff, but I think you know, I meant I meant that in a good way, dude. Okay. I, I think the passion I, I mentioned this at the outset, the passion that you bring to your job and to your relationships um is kind of a Madden-esque passion, right? You're exuberant. Um, even and, and I know to our listeners, you can't see Buck right now, but we have a video going so I can see him and he's talking with his hands, right? Like a Madden. Uh, I keep waiting for the telestrator to come out, folks. Uh, um, and, you know, for him to draw on the on the screen uh, the organizational structure of his IT department. But in all seriousness, I think that's part of what makes you so incredibly successful, right? Because you can build the relationship with, with the C-suite. You also build the relationship with your teams and people, people like you, like they liked Madden, (laughs) right? I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Well, thank you. That's a very nice compliment. I, uh, I'll share with you. uh, I got a buddy of mine that's with the world's largest consulting firm and he lives in Zionsville and one of the one of the highest compliments he ever paid me was that I was one of the most authentic people that he'd ever mm-hmm. met, and yeah, yeah. that that always stuck with me when he shared that he was an indie top forty under forty guy, and so you know I've I always seen him as a very highly credentialed guy. He's he's a military guy, so for him to share that with me that that meant an awful lot, and I. I I genuinely am passionate about, I've always loved the marriage of technology and business and felt like technology is a supportive piece of the business. You know, it deserves its seat at the table, which, which I've been able to obtain at at the C level. And while the business seldom circles around technology, my tech business did, but we're a support branch of the organization, but we can leverage strategy and deliver that. And I love that, but I genuinely do like, you know, I went from really enjoying when my programs compiled, right? That was a yeah, big deal. Yeah, when you yeah, get your program, yeah, you're yeah. like, all right, it's compiled. <laughs> then you got to fix it, make it do the right things. But that yeah. that passion of mine trans, transitioned over to, you know, as I mentioned as a consultant, serving the needs of those people that I was writing that for and understanding their yeah. problems. And, and if I could find an hour more of, of their day because my report did the heavy lifting of the work of their job, that was report, was rewarding. But then... That even transitioned to, as I managed, started to manage people, seeing them grow and helping them grow, you know, and whether they're learning something or we're getting them in a position of job satisfaction, work-life balance kind of things, all those things I I genuinely am passionate about and and they matter to me. I think that is, that this is probably why you and I are like brothers from another mother, (laughs) Uh, because I would describe myself very similarly, the way I transitioned from 
being excited about solving a problem with code, you mm-hmm. know, to the to solving a business problem, but then translating that that passion and that satisfaction and that joy from watching an employee grow in their career or ha- helping them navigate a difficult situation that they might they might have and uh, you talked about work life balance and i know that's in, incredibly important for you when when you and i first met you were at your uh, startup company your tech company mm-hmm. that you mentioned earlier and i could see that in the people that worked for you they genuinely liked coming to work but i also mm-hmm. know that you gave them call it permission, call it whatever, for work-life balance. That was important yeah, to you. Exactly. And I think that's also what is at play there at the health plan. My guess is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're modeling that same thing there and people see that and they feel it and they want to be a part of it. If I could put that in my words, I try to cultivate the soil so they have what they need to grow. Perfect. Perfect. That, that's kind of been the analogy that, I, that I've used over the years. And that's my job. I mean, I can't make them grow, but I can put them in the right soil and I can give them the water and so forth. And they have the opportunity to grow. And, and many do and flourish. Impacting lives is another way. I think what you're saying, what, what I'm saying too, is having that opportunity, not so much to impact a business problem, the code or the business problem, but impacting lives. That, that matters, you know? Yeah, it, it truly does. So as you're sitting here today, this is a question that we didn't we didn't prep for, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. <laughs> okay. Um, as you're looking at 2022, uh, for those of you listening, we're recording this in late January. What are some of the things that you're seeing on the horizon? Not necessarily a technology trend, but what are some of the things that you're seeing that may change your environment there at the health plan, whether it's external factors or technology change or people change, what are some of the things that you're looking out for in the future to kind of watch, if that makes sense? You'll tell me if I don't answer the right question, but... Well, I think I asked about 27 questions in that in that monologue there, so, so take your pick. Okay. So... I'm trying. I'm trying to keep this generic for your audience, as, as opposed to specific to the role here. But you've mentioned COVID, and we've talked about remote, and you know, there's this hope that things will go back to normal. I don't think they will. I, I think we're charting new, new paradigms that w- you know that will continue to shift for a while, and we'll have to adjust, and then generationally, the the interpretation of what that work-life balance means, uh, I think it'll mean one thing to me, it'll mean something else to, you know, someone much younger than I am that's beginning their career or in the early stages of their career. And I need to, to be paying attention to that and sensitive to what that means and asking them what that means and then trying to, again, cultivate that soil in that new way for them to grow. And to some extent, with what all is available from a technology perspective today, what all is on our horizon, and I don't just mean cloud, but I mean AI and all the other things, I yep. think it's I think it's my responsibility to challenge the executive management team here, provide them some level of, of communication about what is available and have them 
challenge to think how can they leverage that? Where does that, yeah, where, yeah. where might a place for that technology be to plug in to our industry? And so I, I think that's one of the things that kind of hurts me in this new industry that I don't know that well, but I'm, I'm on a fast track. I got a lot of mentors helping me better understand Jeff, my, mm-hmm. the president being one of them to help me understand this industry and where I can plug in new technologies and yeah. concepts to apply those because we do, I mean, the challenge is going to be differentiation. You know, how, yes. how are we different than the payer, you know, in South Carolina or Florida? Right. And while our footprint is predominantly West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, you know, we still have uh, accounts across the country. So the opportunities there for us to be uh, effective in all those areas, and, but how do we leverage that? And what, what do we draw from technology to make that happen? And what are the tools that they're expecting? What what are the members of these insurance companies expecting to do from their phone? That, that you know, right. that's that's right. what we've right. got to be able to Every, provide. Everything. Yeah, Everything. exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, and some of them don't want the call. Some of them only want text, and we have to be able to support that um, yeah. and and apps I, that they can load and get information. Does that answer any of your questions? Yeah, it's, it absolutely <laughs> did. And I love okay. how you tied it back to our conversation at the beginning, because uh, I'm going to paraphrase your answer here a little bit, but you were just talking about looking at technology and then talking to the executives and challenging them to identify places where it can plug in. But then you went on to say, as you learn more about the industry, Mm -hmm. you're going to be identifying places where it can plug in which ties us back to that verticalization piece that we started mm-hmm. our conversation with. The more you learn about the industry, your value continue, your value and your team's value continues to rise. Exactly. Yeah, that's my anticipation. Buck, we are, we are uh, nearing the end of our time here. And as I warned you, uh, I'd love to wrap these discussions up with a pretty strong call to action for our listeners. So as you think about our conversation today and you think about our listeners who are CIOs, senior IT leaders in corporate IT and in the tech sector, what's one or two things they should do differently because they listen to our conversation today? All right. And thank you for the coaching that you were going to be asking me that question. Um, <laughs> I, and I hope I, I hope I've made good use of the preparation time for it. So I, I do think there's two things. And, and one thing I feel like I think many, many managers, directors, CIOs, so forth, are hesitant to do. But I challenge you to take a more empathetic perspective of your staff and and re- genuinely consider how different they are and what their individual needs are for motivation and encouragement and career planning. And I think these both these both kind of have to do with pride and mm-hmm. and i think one of my life models has been seek first to understand and then to be understood so i think how that applies is try to connect with your staff members and understand their uniqueness and mm-hmm. and applaud that and appreciate that and as that comes to how do you motivate them and then understand what you can do in that space uh, it's good for re- retention. It's good for their career growth, and it's good for your your department in, in many ways. It, it'll pay huge dividends. 
The second thing, also kind of pride-related or, or, or attitudinal, is when, and I, and I kind of mentioned this, so I'm a bit of repeating myself, but check that IT ego at the door of yeah, the, yeah. the C-suite, whether that's the corner office or your peers, and you know, chief financial officer or chief medical officer, whoever that may be, and make the effort to communicate with them at their level, at, at their at their technical level. As we were in preparation, you know, you used the phrase, you know, read the room. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a big part of my success in, in, in being able to grow, you know, climb the ladder of success, if you will, is to be able to you know, make contact, eye contact with these folks and try to see whether you're confusing them or you're connecting with them. And don't, don't be afraid to just ask and say, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Is, is what I'm telling you making sense? And can you relate to that? And, and, you know, am I getting through to you? So, and then if you're not, you know, if they're honest and you're not, you know, take another spin at it. Don't yeah. be afraid yeah. to, to come back at it at another angle. So those would be my two actionable items. I think those are fantastic, Buck, because I think those are things that uh, our listeners can really start doing tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, They may need, depending on where they are in their leadership pathway, they may need to grow into some of those things, but they can definitely start looking at that tomorrow. Buck, I want to thank you for carving out time to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. I love every chance I get for us to have a conversation. And this time the mic was on. This is awesome. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share. It, it's an honor to, to sit with you and chat. I like having a bourbon with you, but I also enjoyed, you know, recording this program with you. Well, sooner or later, we're going to do that again. Uh, you know, if uh, our, our travel paths align, we will, we will do that. I look forward to it. To our listeners, if you want to learn more or have any questions, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. For Buck Bryant, this is Jeff Tun. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.